For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. God, God, my God, why did you leave me miles from nowhere? Doubled up with pain, I called to God all the day long. No answer, nothing. I keep at it all night, tossing and turning. God, don't you care? Are you above it all? Where are you? I know you were there for my parents. They cried for your help and you gave it. They trusted and lived a good life. And here I am, a nothing, an earthworm, something to step on, to squash. Everyone makes fun of me. They make faces at me. They shake their heads. Let the Lord, she cried, to save her since she loved him so much. And to think you were the midwife at my birth, setting me against my mother's breasts. When I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you've been my God. Then you moved far away, and trouble moved in next door. I need a neighbor. I am a bucket, kicked over and spilled. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My heart is a blob of melted wax in my gut. I am as dry as a bone, my tongue black and swollen. They have laid me out for burial in the dirt. Now packs of wild dogs come at me, thugs gang up on me. They pin me down hand and foot and lock me in a cage, a bag of bones in a cage stared at by every passerby. They take my wallet and the shirt off my back, and then they throw dice for my clothes. You, God, rescue me, hurry and help me. Don't let them cut my throat. Don't let those monglers devour me. If you don't show up soon, I'm done for, gored by the bulls, meat for the lions. Here's a story I'll tell my friends when they come to worship and punctuate with hallelujahs. Shout hallelujah, you God-worshippers. Give glory, you sons of Jacob. Adore him, you daughters of Israel. God has never let you down, never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. God has never wandered off to do his own thing. God has been right there, listening. Here, in this great gathering for worship, I have discovered this life of goodness. And I'll do what I promised right here in front of all of you. Down and outers sit at God's table and eat their fill eat your fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here, praising him. Live full and strong from head to toe. Don't ever quit. From the four corners of the earth, people are praising him. People are coming to their senses. They are turning back to God. Long-lost families are falling on their faces before him. God has taken charge. From now on, God has the last word. Where are all the power monglers? They are before God, worshiping. Where are all the poor and powerless? They too, worshiping among all those who never got it together. All are worshiping together. Babies not yet conceived will hear the good news, that God does what God says. God said the poor matter, which means we are all rescued on this day of ultimate grief. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Janica. Hey, everybody. 
Um, <clears throat> we have a whiteboard with a calendar on our house, and uh, we have all of our major events listed on it. And when one of my kids saw the event for today, uh, Good Friday, he asked, Daddy, what is, what is Good Friday? Why do we call it good? And I explained it to him, and he erased the word good and wrote bad. Good job. So what I want to do tonight, um, this is a night where words really matter. So normally my sermons have a lot of uh, extemporaneous words to them, but tonight I wrote them down. So um, what I want to start with is a reading from a book called A Scandalous Beauty by Thomas Schmidt. This is from the chapter called The God in the Garden. This reading is taken from the new improved Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning of modern times, about 100 years ago, man looked at his universe, and it seemed without form and void, and darkness was, on, was, was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of mankind looked over everything, and man said, let there be science. And there was science. And man saw the science that he had made, that it was good. And with it, he divided all things. He created a science to rule the day, all the things he could see, and he called it natural science, even unto physics, chemistry, and biology. And he made a lesser science to rule the night, all the darker things about himself. And he called that social science, even unto psychology, sociology, and politics. And man saw that it was good, and there was morning and evening, and the modern day had begun. And man divided all the things he saw, the waters above, the land, the waters below, the grass, the fruit tree yielding fruit, the swarms of living creatures in the waters, the birds that fly above the earth, and moving creatures of every kind that are on the earth, including himself, a higher primate distinguished from the other creatures, mainly by his ability to destroy everything. And man saw all this dividing and all this classifying, and he called it good. And the destroying was fun, too. This all took several evenings and mornings, and that got him up on the fifth day. And modern man said, T-G-I-F. <laughs> but then he thought, wait a minute, what does the G stand for? And then modern man said, let us make God after our own image, according to our likeness. And so he did. He blessed God. He said to him, be distant and keep to yourself because we already have filled the earth and subdued it and classified it, and there really isn't a whole lot of room left for you, but you certainly are a pleasant thought. And then modern man planted a garden, and there he put the God that he had formed, and he called the garden safe, respectable religion. And out of the ground of that garden, man made to grow trees that are pleasant to the sight and flowers, and he put a fine building in the midst of the garden, because good-looking landscaping enhances property values. And the Lord man took God and put God in the building and said, God, enjoy yourself, but whatever you do, stay in the building. For in the day you leave it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord man said, it is not good for God to be awake. Someone might wander into the building and find him and be frightened. So the Lord man caused a deep sleep to fall upon the God he had made, and he slept. And man laid him in a box inside the building and put a lid on the box and laid a curtain over it and placed tall candlesticks on top of it so he could come there from time to time to remember the God that he had made. 
Then modern man said, at last, I have expressed fully the mystery of life and the depth of my mind. I shall call this God personal, for out of my personality he was taken. And there was evening, morning, the sixth day, and modern man saw that it was very good, because all this was done, leaving one extra day in the weekend for golf. <laughs> Admit it, how much more attractive would God be if he were the God in the garden, if we could keep him in a place of our own imaginative creation, where he rocks around quietly blessing flowers and bunnies and small children. We could let him out or maybe let ourselves in when we wanted a hug, when we were grieved or depressed or guilty or frightened. But those aren't constant needs, of course. The real world is investment portfolios and kids who need rides to practice and a new movie to see and a vacation to plan. Most of this world we have created is not a place for God. Keep him inside the garden wall, inside his box. What if he doesn't want to stay there? What if one day he refuses to stay in a box? Well, let's suppose he did, and let's suppose we call that day Easter. So the reality of Good Friday is that God crucifies our ability to keep God in that garden, in that box with a lid on it, no matter how hard we try. The reality of Good Friday is that God, God crucifies safe, respectable religion. The reality of Good Friday is that God crucifies any misconception that we have that we might get to define God on our own terms. The reality of Good Friday is that God shows simply and devastatingly who God actually is once and for all time. Because before the cross is about you or me, before it's about forgiveness of sins, or even the sins that we're buried under. It's about God showing the world once and for all who God actually is. It's undeniable proof that God is sacrificial love because it was God hanging on that cross. This is the startling, unsettling, truest thing about God. Nadia Boltz-Weber says this, Good Friday is not about us trying to get right with God. It's about us entering the difference between God and humanity, and just touching it for a moment, touching the shimmering sadness of humanity's insistence that we can be our own gods, that we can be pure and all-powerful. So think about it. For anyone wondering who the seemingly violent God of the Hebrew Scriptures is, Good Friday settles it. For anyone who gets lost in all the theological ruminations of the epistle writers, and there are a lot of the New Testament, here we have the climactic event of all human history to show us who God is. It's God hanging on that old rugged cross when we could not hang on ourselves. And God, through Jesus, says these seven last phrases. Number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Truly, I tell you, secondly, today you'll be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's almost as if we stumble into a room where there's an intimate conversation going on when we hear these words. Especially the first word. It's about forgiving them, forgiving us, because we really don't know what we're doing. We almost need to turn away from it. It's so tender and intimate. 
What kind of God would forgive us before we came to him to ask for it? What kind of God would forgive us before we even knew what we were doing? It takes away all reasonable theology to say that first you need to go to God to get forgiven. The cross says, Father, forgive them, for they do not, they do not know what they are doing. They don't even know how to ask for forgiveness. So this is God on the cross who cannot be contained with safe, respectable religion. And then there's the thief on the one side of Jesus, gasping in pain, with his life flashing before his eyes. He has the audacity to ask Jesus to simply remember him when he comes into his glory. So there's your formula for getting into heaven when you die. Just whisper to God sometime in your life, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because Jesus says, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And then we see Jesus there with his mother, the strong one who taught him to do God's will and not his own will. We see the revolutionary woman who agreed to carry the Messiah and then raise him. We see the one who loved him more than anyone and who wept more than anyone that Friday that certainly could not be called good, at least not by her. This is the God who looks down to his best friend, John, the one who refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved all throughout his gospel. You can laugh at that, or you can say that's just about the most awesome thing in the world. And he says, woman, behold your new son. Son, behold your new mother. And he unites them, taking care of both of them. This is the God who invites us into his very own family, into the bosom of intimacy. So there's a formula if you want to be in God's family. Just have one that you love dear die. And God will give you one of his own. And then there's the anguished sob of the one who feels forsaken by his father. Quoting Psalm 22, his very own prayer book, Jesus shows us the depth of grief. There is no bottom to this kind of sadness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the God who creates space in the world for all the pain that it holds and doesn't flinch. He doesn't get down off of that cross. This is the God who remains through all of our suffering, through the suffering of the entire world. So there's a formula if you want to get close to Jesus. Suffer. He'll be close to you. And then there is the thirst that Jesus must have felt. What more can be said about this? This is the God who shows us how to ask for what we need. This is the God who thirsts, who needs, who is running out. I thirst. This is the God who keeps flowing when everything else dries up and when everything else runs out. So there's a formula. Just be thirsty. Just be thirsty. And God will provide for you what you need. And then there are those three final words, the one that caused the earthquakes, the cause that caused the temple curtain to be torn in two, and that caused the dead to rise, the ones that made him captive, and the ones that set us free. It is finished, Jesus said. This is the God who creates, and also the God who completes. So there's your formula. 
Just come to the end of yourself. Just be done. Be done with it all. And whisper, it is finished. And you will be met by the God who is both the creator and the completer. And then finally, the most inexplicable words, there is the God that gives up. And yet it's not so much a giving up as it is the final act of a man who had been commending his spirit into the hands of God for his entire life. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This is the God who has been held within the triune God for all of time and who upon his resurrection will invite us into that intimacy for all of eternity. So there's a formula. Commend your spirit to God for all of time. Ask God to hold you and be held by God. The reality of Good Friday is that God shows simply and devastatingly who God actually is once and for all time. And that is why the cross, as horrific as it is, is also the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. It's the place that God displayed sacrificial love and then conferred upon us the status as beings of unsurpassable worth. That's what happened, and that's why it's good. Amen. Thank you.